As we think of God's financial principles, today we'll be looking at these two aspects of giving and saving. What does the Bible say about our giving and saving? It has a lot to say, actually. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know there's actually more verses in the Bible related to giving than any other subject dealing with money? Yes, it has a lot to say about giving. And so we're going to see what the Bible says on that subject, but we'll also see the Bible has something to say about saving. God cares about saving. So let's start with giving. And we have several biblical principles we'll look at, but here's the first principle we want to start with, that God says it's important to give with the proper attitude. God cares about your attitude. Now, did you know that your giving is not based on how much you give? Your giving isn't just based on how much you give. Uh, a lot of times we, we, we think that's kind of like the most important thing. But to God, your attitude is even more important. God evaluates our giving based on our attitude. And I want you to see what Jesus <clears throat> has to say about this. As he was talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees were giving... But look what Jesus says here. He, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. By the way, what's a hypocrite? Hypocrite is, well, it can go either way, two ways, where you're saying one thing and doing another, or you're not doing something which you actually say you are doing. So Jesus is calling them hypocrites. And notice why here in Matthew 23, because he says, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, all herbs, mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now notice in that passage there, Matthew 23, Jesus is not condemning them for giving. In fact, at the end he says, You ought to have done that. You ought to have tithed. Jesus is not negating the tithe. However, he was concerned about their attitude. They were leaving off something that was very important. They weren't giving with the proper attitude here, and so God, Jesus, rebuked them. Well, you might ask, well then, if God cares about my attitude in giving, what is the proper attitude? Well, the Bible gives us at least two, and the first one is love. Everything should be done with love. Give because you love. Uh, Actually, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous chapter on love. And what we'll see here is that for giving to be of any value to the giver, it has to be done out of love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, which I'm going to leave out part of it, uh, the part in the middle. So it it says, if I give away all I have, that's uh, that's a giver who is giving, right? Giving away all I have. Then it goes on, if you skip over the next phrase, it says, but have not love... I gain nothing. Let me repeat that. If I give away all I have, but have not love, I gain nothing. So love is a very important attitude to having giving. And, of course, why should we love? (laughs) Because God is love. God the Father set the example in Uh, of, I should say, the example of giving in love when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. You all know John 3.16, so you don't need to turn there, right? It says, for God so loved the world. And how, how was that evidenced? He gave his son, Jesus Christ. That's the supreme example of love. And you might ask, well, how can I give out of love? Okay, I know love is important, but how am I supposed to actually give out of love? Well, the best way that I actually know how to do that is that every gift you give, give it as as if you're giving it directly to Jesus Christ himself. 
Now, there's actually a biblical principle for that. But uh, if you're thinking, hey, I'm giving this, whatever it is, a gift to someone, a spouse or church or whatever, then if you're thinking, okay, I, I'm doing this because I love Jesus. So I'm going to pretend like this person, this group, or whatever is, is Jesus, then that makes all the difference. And, and when you're actually giving to the Lord, it can then be an act of worship on your part as you're giving. Well, there's a second attitude that Scripture talks about, and it is uh, we need to give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Look at 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Everyone, 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 7 in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, which says that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see that? What kind of a giver does God love? God loves a cheerful giver. That's an interesting, there's a couple interesting words there. Notice the at least in the ESV, it says that God doesn't want us to be reluctant. The idea is He doesn't want you to be sorrowful or grieving. You know, you can just picture somebody as they go over to the offering box, you know, the church offering box, and they're crying, you know. <laughs> I gotta give money to God. <laughs> you know, God says, don't be that way. Don't be sorrowful thinking, oh man, like, oh, I don't want to do this. God's saying, don't be that way. You be in, in the opposite. Be cheerful. Be joyful. It literally means joyful, happy, as you're giving away part of God's money. You say, well, what's the point here? We're not to give reluctantly, but on the other hand, rather we're to give because we are joyful and happy. We have an opportunity to serve God, to worship God. Did you know your giving is an act of worship? It is. And God's telling us it's important to give with the proper attitude here. A second principle we see in Scripture is that we're to give to God first. Give to God first. Now, part of our responsibility as a faithful steward is to give back to God a portion of what He has entrusted to us. He's entrusted everything to us. And we have this opportunity to give back a portion of that to him. For example, look at this. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The idea you produce, think of your income, if you will, if you're not a farmer. Notice why give to God here. Why give to God? Some might say, well, doesn't God own everything? So why should I give what he already owns back to him? Some people say that doesn't make sense. And the truth is, yes, God does own everything. He doesn't need our money. But we need to give, though. We need to give for, for several reasons. One, giving to the Lord is, is a constant reminder to us of who actually owns all the money and the possessions anyway. So that, that's one of the reasons I, I love putting a check in the offering box on Sundays is every time I'm, I'm doing the act of dropping a check in the offering box, I'm reminded that, you know, this isn't mine. <laughs> and I need that reminder. I do. Because this, this world's trying to press me into its mold. The world's trying to say, you know, it's, it's, it's yours. But it's not. Uh, a second thing you need to think about, it's, a, it's actually an indicator. Your giving is an indicator of your obedience to biblical principles, to God's principles. So, just helpful. Well, you might ask, well, how much should you give? How much should I give? Well, there's all kinds of ideas on this. Some people think, well, I don't need to give anything. It's, it's all mine, right? I'm just going to hoard it. Uh, there's some that say, well, whatever is left over after I've paid all the bills, that then I will pay or I will give to God or give away. And then there's some who who've just kind of stick stuck to the, the strict tithe uh, principle that 
the Bible talks about where your tithe, by the way, is 10% of your gross income. And then there's other ideas, but those are some of the main ones. So you might well ask, well, which is it? Which is it? I'd really like to know. How much should I give? Well, are you aware that the biblical principle is that a tithe or 10% of our gross income is, is only a foundation of our giving? That's only the foundation. It's interesting. Uh, people in, in Israel, in Bible times, gave way more than 10%. Way more. By the way, notice I said that the, the tithe is a foundation. It's a good starting point. It, it's certainly not everything. And I want you to see what God had to say about this to, to ancient Israel. In places like uh, Malachi chapter 3, for example, when God was talking to Israel, he said, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. God's saying they were robbing him. By the way, in in addition to the tithe, let me be clear, God's people in Old Testament gave offerings as well as contributions, or some of your Bibles might say offerings. Okay? Some have said that that, uh, the ancient Jew would have given uh, at least 33% of their income to the temple uh, when you start adding up all the the various things. But anyway, so so notice there's there's the offerings as well as the contributions. And then when when you take that Old Testament principle and you come into the New Testament, the New Testament's building on that foundation. If you don't have the Old Testament foundation, then what's going on in the New Testament won't make sense to you. So we got the the foundation of tithes and offerings or contributions. And so when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in your Bibles here, you got this principle of give in proportion to what we receive. Now you won't see the word tithe here, or 10%, but notice this is an interesting principle. You give in proportion to what you receive. Look at in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, which says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. Notice, see that? Gave according to their means, in a giving in proportion to what they received. Paul goes on to say, as I can testify, and then beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Now there's a lot of principles that we can identify in that text. Let me, I, I wrote down eight different things here. I'll just quickly share with you as, as you, uh, we're not there yet, so please don't go there. But, uh, hey, look, and you look at your text in 2 Corinthians 8, there's, here's some things I've just highlighted. Number one, our giving is demonstrating God's grace. Uh, remember, grace is the idea of God's enabling. He's, he's doing a lot of great things through us. So, this church was giving, and it was showing God's grace. They were, in fact, they were giving even beyond their means, which was glorifying God. Number two, even in extreme hardship, we can experience joy and generosity. They were having a hard time, this church. They were enduring suffering and persecution, and, and, and notice it even said extreme poverty. Yet even in their extreme poverty, they were experiencing joy and generosity. Number three, we should give as much as we're able. As much as we're able. Notice God, for this particular church, and Paul, writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, didn't say, hey, give this percentage, just as you're able. And then number four, sometimes we should give more than we think we can. Boy, that, that stretches your faith. And it, it's fun to do, I must say. Uh, my wife and I have done that many times throughout our, our married life. 
and uh, it, it is. It is a test of your faith. It's a test of your love for God, and it can, it can be a lot of fun at the same time. But in the text, it also says, number five, that we should look for opportunities to give. Look for opportunities to give. Have your eyes open. How, how can you be a faithful steward of God's stuff? Number six, we should see giving as a privilege. It's a privilege. And then number seven, we should give ourselves first to the Lord. Someone who is given to the Lord is, is going to have an open pocketbook, an open bank account, to, is, is going to be more willing to release the money from their hand. But notice then it says that we should then give ourselves to others. Someone who's loving God is then going to obey the greatest command to love other people as they love themselves. So those are just some principles that that are there in the text. And by the way, those of you who don't have much money to give, well, you you can join the, the Corinthian church here. Remember, they were in extreme poverty. I don't think any of us are in extreme poverty, but they were. And so it's, it's encouraging as you think about this next passage in Mark chapter 12, Jesus actually praises the sacrificial giving of this, this woman. She is destitute. She is not giving much, but she does what she can. Notice she is a poor widow. Jesus describes her as a poor widow, and here's what Jesus says. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. <laughs> That's hardly anything. And he, that's Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So Jesus praises her sacrificial giving. So, Again, it's not the amount, but uh, God can bless what we do give. So how much should you give then? Let's be clear. How much should you give? Well, the exact amount that you give is something that's between you and God. Okay? I know, I know there's some religions and even churches out there who, who really keep track of that sort of thing and, and, and basically command the congregation, you've got to do this. Well, that's wrong. That's just wrong. This is an issue between you and God. And so, you need to ask, what does God want you to do? You don't come to the pastor, the elders, or uh, some some other body and say, "Hey, you know, what should I do?" or whatever. That's an issue between you and God. It's and and anyway, the Bible doesn't give you a maximum amount. However, the Bible does give us a minimum amount. Okay, the ten percent or the tithe would be the minimum, the the foundation of our giving to God. Hope that answers that question. So let's move on to the next question then is, are there any blessings for giving? Now, I, I know there's a lot of bad theology on, on uh, people giving and then expecting God to bless them, okay? Just hold on. Hear me out here, okay? <laughs> there are some blessings in Scripture when we give, okay? This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel or anything like that, but the Lord does intend for giving to be a blessing for the giver. In fact, try to, you can try to find this in the Gospels. I have yet to find Jesus actually saying this. But in Acts chapter 20, the apostle said, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Have you ever seen that in, in the Gospels? <laughs> Well, Jesus obviously did say it. I just, it, it obviously doesn't seem to be recorded. But if Jesus said that, it has to be true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's talk about some blessings. And in fact, there's the, if you're giving, there's four benefits for the giver. Number one, giving draws our hearts toward Christ. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome to start with, isn't it? That's a good reason to give just there. 
It's going to draw our hearts to Christ. And you say, is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. It is. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, notice what comes next. The heart follows the treasure. Wherever your heart, or wherever the treasure goes, your heart follows it. So if your treasure is Christ, then your heart will follow Christ. And that's why it's necessary to give each of our gifts thinking, I'm giving to Jesus. Because if you are giving to Jesus, then Jesus is your treasure and your heart will be drawn to Christ. Number two, giving develops godly character and helps us conform to Christ. I hope you're familiar with Philippians 2.5, talking about Jesus. It says, Has the, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then it fleshes that out, showing his humility and so forth. But um, our Heavenly Father wants his children to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what his desire for us is. And so the character of Christ is that of an unselfish giver. And if you read on in Philippians 2, particularly verses 6 to 8, it shows that. He he gave himself. He came in human flesh. He even gave himself up to the point of dying on a cross. That shows that he was an unselfish giver. Now, unfortunately, human beings are naturally selfish, and we're born that way. Just watch babies. Even babies are just naturally selfish. And so we, we grow up and we still maintain our selfishness. Hopefully we are maturing in Christ as we grow older, but that's unfortunate. And one of the ways that we can then be conformed to Christ is by giving. It helps us with our selfishness. Number three, a, a third benefit for giving is that giving allows us to put treasures in heaven. Some people think Jesus is is against treasure. He doesn't want you to be happy. No, that's not not the point at all. In fact, look what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 20. Jesus says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, some people look at verse 19, and they kind of rip verse 19 out of his context and say, Jesus Jesus doesn't want me storing up treasure. No, 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 no. no. He said, just don't be a fool and store it up here on earth. Because that's where the moths, the rust, and the thieves are going to take it or it's going to be destroyed. Instead, Jesus is saying, by all means, store up treasure. Just put it in the right place. Put it in heaven where it can't be touched. So God wants us to know that we can invest for eternity. And and, and there will never be an economic downturn, a a, a great depression, a financial crisis, you know, or anything like that. That won't happen in heaven. Never. It is totally secure. And so when we give, there's an account for each one of us in heaven. And you're never going to get a letter in the mail saying the bank messed up. <laughs> right? It won't never it'll never happen. You'll never get something in the mail. We got we got something in the mail one time from the bank that had that had all the security codes. We could have actually broken the bank and got into the vaults because we had the codes. We had the alarm code and we had the, the numbers for the vault. So we immediately got onto that one real quick. You know, it's crazy. But God doesn't make those sort of mistakes. It is secure. He knows your account. You get exactly what you've earned. And it's an account that when you get to heaven, you get to enjoy for all eternity. It's not just a temporary thing. It's not like my children who might get some money and they head off. I try not to do this, but sometimes children will get money. What do they do? Off to the dairy, right? Let's buy some sugar, get a sugar rest, and then it's gone. Wow, that went quick. Didn't last very long. That's that's not the way it is in heaven. It will last for all eternity. A fourth benefit is that giving can produce a material increase to the giver. So again, don't freak out here. This is not a prosperity gospel. 
Okay? But look at the principles that we see in Scripture. For example, Proverbs 11, verse 24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Does that make sense, by the way? Somebody just giving away money, but yet God says they grow richer. Uh, Another withholds what he should give, but only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. It's, it's like somebody taking the watering can, walking around the garden, constantly watering plants, and God keeps filling up the water can. So they're, they're trying to get rid of the water, and God keeps filling it up. How cool is that? <laughs> All right, now look, at, uh, look in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians 9. Because you see the same principle in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let me just highlight a few things from the text here for you. Notice, these verses teach that giving results in material increase for you. Well, that's a general principle. It may not happen, okay? Uh, But generally, it does. And, And note, why the Lord is increasing or, re, or giving a return. Well, verse 11 says that God wants you to be generous in every way. Wow. I mean, think about it. How cool is God? If you want to use modern term, terminology, God is cool, isn't he? He's amazing. You have to love a God like this. He owns everything. He gives us everything. We get to be wise stewards. We get fun giving it away, and then he rewards us for giving it away. And then he keeps filling up our buckets, so to speak. I mean, you see, the Lord provides a material increase so that we can give more and then have our needs met at the same time. It's so cool to to, to see that actually happen in your life. You've never experienced that. I challenge you. Pray, pray that God would enable you through His grace to be able to experience that. Well, here's another question we need to think about then. To whom should we give? To whom should we give? What does the Bible say? Well, number one, the Bible says give to your local church, Christian workers, and ministries. That's a good place to start. And that's not the only place the Bible mentions, but... For example, let's start in the Old Testament, which lays a foundation uh, coming into the New Testament. But uh, in Numbers chapter 18, for example, the, the old, in the Old Testament here, the priests were to receive support. The, the, these are the priests of Israel. And notice what God says, Numbers 18, 21. To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do. Now, we're, we're not supposed to live that way. That was, that was Old Testament Israel, okay? But there, there are some principles that were laid in the Old Testament that, that we see magnified in the New Testament. Now, I don't want this to come across as self-serving, which is one of the reasons why I've, I've, I've never even preached on this before. But this is what the Bible says on this subject. So have a look at this, because in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, it says that elders or pastors are to receive support. So verse 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, 
especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Well, I won't elaborate on that. I'll just let Scripture speak for itself. Okay, So we're to give to our local churches, to Christian ministries, missionaries, that sort of thing. Okay, But the Bible also says that we can give to the poor. The Bible encourages giving to the poor. In fact, uh, look what uh, Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter 25. Now, I've put it up here in PowerPoint because I've taken out some of the redundant uh, uh, lines just to help shrink it down a little bit here for us, okay? So Matthew 25 says this. Then the king will say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now remind you, who's speaking there? That's Jesus speaking. So Jesus says, when you give money and gifts to people, it's like you're doing it to Jesus himself. That's, that's the correct way to view it. And did you hear what Jesus said here? He's identifying himself with the poor. These people who are hungry are without food and drink. He's identifying himself with the poor. So when we're giving to the poor, we're actually giving to Jesus. Well, we're going to look at some Proverbs here. So turn over to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. The book of wisdom Proverbs 14. We'll see that the book of Proverbs also exhorts us and shows the wisdom of helping the needy. Everyone there? Proverbs 14? Look at verse 31. Verse 31. The Bible says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, capital M, Maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. You're honoring God. You can insult God or you can honor God through your care for the needy. Well, here's another one. Proverbs 22, verse 9. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 9. Which says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. And there's many other verses we could look at, but you get the point, I hope. God cares for the needy, and when you give to them like you're giving to Jesus, it, it, Jesus is going to bless us. It's, it's a wonderful reward. Okay, let's talk about saving. The Bible talks about saving, so let's see what the Bible says. Number one, the Bible actually encourages saving. The Bible encourages us to save. We are uh, encouraged by the Bible, the Scriptures, to prepare for future needs. By the way, saving, what is that? Uh, well, I like this definition. Saving means not spending today so you'll have something to spend in the future. Joseph is a good example of this. When you read, uh, for example, in Genesis chapter 41, Joseph uh, was told of God in this, this dream that there's going to be seven plenteous years and then there's going to be famine for several years. And so Joseph saved during the seven years of plenty so that there would be enough for, for the people to live during the seven years of famine. It's a good example for us. 
Uh, Now look what Proverbs says in Proverbs 21, verse 20. Proverbs 21, verse 20, it says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Now I'll just say that in my own words. Okay, Fools spend whatever they get. And if you really want to be even more foolish, fools spend more than what they get. Okay, The Bible's clear on that. And, and going into debt, God says you become a slave. But even, even at this, if you're only spending what you get, God's saying you're a fool. You spend everything you get. But on the other hand, you're wise if you have extra Precious treasure and oil there in the in the wise man's dwelling is the example. So let's talk about some principles. Save number one. Save only if you are giving. Save only if you're giving. If you're not giving, then you need to start there. And so the only time we should be saving is when we're actually giving, so that then our hearts are going to remain focused on the Lord. Listen to Jesus' parable here in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, those will they be. Or whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now why did God call the rich man A fool. Did you notice? Fool exclamation point. God calls this man a fool. Why? Some would say he's wise. I mean, does he have God's blessing? He's got lots of stuff. He's got more than his barns can handle. So what's the issue here? Well, he's saving all of his goods, but he's not generous in his giving. He wasn't generous in his giving, and that's why God called him a fool. Number two, save regularly. The Bible exhorts us to save regularly. Now, the fundamental principle that you and I need to practice to become successful savers is you have to, this is kind of obvious, but some people aren't very good at this. You, you spend less than you earn. It's an obvious principle, isn't it? A lot of people have a hard time doing that. You spend less than you earn. Now, here's where having things like credit cards and so forth can be dangerous because if you have cash in hand, and if that's all you had was cash in hand, then you you wouldn't be able to spend more than that. So you save, you invest, and uh, anyway. So spend less than you earn, then you would be able to save, and then you invest the difference over a long period of time. The Bible talks about this, so look at Proverbs 21, 5. Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So picture a hasty person who's who, who isn't organized, who just walks around town, you know, they get the paycheck and it's gone real quick, right? That's a hasty person. But someone who's diligent is, is saying, okay, I'm going to spend less than I earn and then I'm going to save and then when I can, I'm going to invest over a long period of time. By the way, you don't have to earn a lot of money to do this. You just have to be consistent, and look what, again, look what God says, and he's using an ant, actually the ants in Proverbs 6, here to explain this truth. So look at Proverbs 6 in your Bibles. You can learn something from the ants. You ever watched ants? They're amazing little creatures, aren't they? They're fun to watch. Just 
take some time, slow down. I encourage you to do this sometime. Slow down and watch the ants. That's what God says to do here in Proverbs 6, verse 6. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Ants are small creatures, aren't they? Very small creatures. They're not capable, by the way, of saving a great quantity of food, which is why when the sun is shining, particularly in the summertime, they're very industrious little things, aren't they? And I know they can be obnoxious. Sometimes they get in your house where you don't want them, right? But despite that fact, just go to them, look at them. They're very, very busy little things when it's not raining and the sun is shining. They're working as hard as they can. Why are they doing that? They got to save. They got to save for when the bad weather comes. <clears throat> They're saving for future needs. So my advice is to you is just start whatever you can afford to save, okay? Uh, if you're able to save, just start with whatever you can, even if it's only, you know, just a few cents. Do something. And then try to build up a reserve if you're able to. And then, if possible, save a portion of your income every time you're receiving it. Try to try to set a little portion of that aside. I mean, that's what we do with the... With our even our church has has a reserve set aside for for when it's needed. It's a wise thing to do. We get that from the scriptures. Well, here's my next question: How much should we save? Scripture exhorts us to do this. So, how much? Well, scripture's silent on the how much. Okay, and, and in fact, uh, all as far as I'm aware, we only have one biblical example of saving a specific amount. And, and we already talked about that in Genesis chapter 41. Uh, God had, had wisely told Joseph, save 20% every year so that when the famine comes, there will be enough. And by the way, that is, that is not a command for us. Okay, so I know some people, that's a bad hermeneutic, okay? It doesn't mean you have to save 20% of your income. That's not the point God was making there. Okay, you have to remember that, that hermeneutically speaking, that's a story. It's not a command. But having said that, there is some wise things we can learn from that. But uh, here, here's what it says. I put it up on the screen for you. Genesis 41, verse 34. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth, or 20%, of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. So that's... God's advice uh, for that situation. So we don't have a specific amount in Scripture. That's the only time I can think of where there is a specific amount mentioned. But again, it's only a story. It's not a command for us. So uh, I was interesting as I was reading Crown Financial Ministries material. They they actually they they're recommending if you can ten percent of your income. And I'm I was like looking at that. The whoa. Whew. <laughs> There's been many years, there's no way we could have done that. Uh, it's just, just not possible. But anyway, that's their recommendation. Take it or leave it wherever you think. Another question is for uh, what should we save for then? Okay, if God wants us saving, what kind of things should we save for? Well, here's some things that you might think about. And certainly we do this for the church. One would be unexpected emergencies. Unexpected emergencies. So you can do this in your own life. There's all sorts of things that can come up where if you didn't have a reserve set aside, you'd be thinking, how am I going to pay for that? Right? Boy, there's all sorts of things we could put in that category. Uh, the second is major purchases. Okay, there's, there's things in our household, we just budget for them. We know they're going to be coming up. And there's no way that we could, we'd have, when it, you know, say the computer breaks down, there's no way that we'd have, you know, just thousands of dollars sitting around to pay a new, for a new computer. And the only way we can do it is we budget, and then just little by little, it builds up to enough to pay for a computer. Another one is, is we have a budget set aside for vehicle replacement. 
So again, there's no way we could pay for a vehicle if we hadn't been saving over several year period of time. And so by the time it comes to, 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 to buy another vehicle, then the money's there and we can pay cash. Uh, and it's a, one of the biggest expenses we have is a house. Okay, a lot of people end up paying rent all their life because they, they haven't learned to save. They spend everything they have or more. And so my advice is you, to you is pay your own mortgage instead of the landlord's mortgage. <laughs> okay, because then when your life's over, at least you have something to show uh, when your life is done. And then number three, there's long-term needs, which, of course, retirement is the one most people think of. Okay, It's not the government's job, although it can be helpful, I know. Uh, but primarily, it's not the government's job to pay for your retirement. It's your job Okay, and your families. That's what the Bible says. But uh, you need to pre- prepare for that. My next question, should we invest? A lot of people wonder about that. Does the Bible talk about investing? And, and by the way, what are investments? Well, investments would vary, by the way, depending on your culture, depending on an economy that you, you live in. So don't just, don't just think of your country and your culture. Uh, I mean, this can vary depending on what country you're in. So investments could in, include farm animals, right? In some cultures, you're, you, you don't have stocks and bonds. Those don't even exist, but you can have a farm animal, or it might it might it could be even a farm itself. It could be food. It could be real estate. It could be, for some places, it's precious metals, stocks and bonds would be just some of the examples of investments. And many people place some of their savings in investments. And what? Why do they do that? They're expecting a return on that. They they want uh, an income or some sort of a growth in value. By the way, the Bible, just, just so you know, the Bible warns us about risky investments. It doesn't say don't invest. God doesn't say never to invest. But he does warn you about risky investments. All right, for example, look at this one. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Did you see that phrase? I'll just highlight that phrase. Those riches were lost in a bad venture. In other words, a risky investment went wrong, and many do. So you do need to be aware of that. Okay. So God's not saying don't invest, but when you do invest, be very, very careful and wise about it. Okay, another touchy issue we need to address, which the Bible somewhat addresses, is it wise to gamble? Is it wise to gamble? Okay. And you, well, first of all, we, we need to define what is gambling. What is gambling? Well, gambling, I'll define it this way, is playing games of chance for money. That's one way of looking at it. Playing games of chance for money. Or it could include betting on all sorts of things, sports, animals, racing, or whatever. It could also include speculating. So those are various, so lotto and so forth uh, wouldn't be included in that, going to the horse races or putting money on the black caps to win the uh, Cricket World Cup today might be another example. All right? The Bible doesn't specify, prohibit, uh, or doesn't specifically prohibit gambling. Let me just say that to start with, okay? However, there many who gamble are doing so with the wrong motives, they have the wrong motives to start with. And what motivates people to gamble? Think about that. What motivates people to gamble? Well, often people are motivated by this, this, I'll call it a sinful desire to get rich quick. They want to get rich quick, and 
they want, uh, there's this prospect of getting something for nothing or very little. And, and that's very appealing to people, isn't it? You know, I don't, I don't want to do any work for the rest of my life. I just want to, you know, you know, win the lotto or whatever it is and just spend a little bit of money and they get all this money, other people's money that they've lost, right? Well, do those kind of motives actually please God? No, of course they don't. Those motives don't please God. They're actually contrary to the principles that are found in the Bible. God says we're to work hard, to be industrious. Okay, six days we're to work and one to rest. All right, well, here's a, here's a verse for you to ponder in Proverbs 28. Look at that in your Bibles. Proverbs 28, verse 20. Proverbs 28, verse 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 28, 20. Faithful man is going to abound with blessings. He's, he's working hard. He's not trying to get rich quick, like winning the lotto or whatever it might be, but whoever hastens to be rich is not going to go unpunished. So here's my opinion. All right? The Bible doesn't say a whole lot on this. Here, notice I said opinion. Uh, me personally, I've made a commitment to not gamble. Uh, I, don't, I don't even gamble for entertaining uh, purposes, you know, even if it's just a little bit. And I've got several reasons for that. One of those is uh, I don't want to expose myself and, and uh, my, my deceitful heart, if you will, even to be tempted to become one of those compulsive gamblers. So you become a gambler by, you're not going to be, let's put it this way, you won't become a gambler, a compulsive gambler, if you don't start, right? So that's one reason. I just don't want to expose myself to the risk. And number two, I don't want to support an industry that's enslaving people. I mean, you see all those people lining up for their betting, their lotto or whatever it might be, and I, I feel sorry for them. They're enslaved. Their hopes are in something other than God for most of those people. Instead, I'd choose, I'm going to put my hope in God for Him to meet my needs. And so that's those are just a couple reasons why I'm not going to do it. So, Let's praise God for, for Him being loving. He is a God of love. He's given us in His Word everything that we need for life and godliness. These are just some of God's financial principles. And we can thank God and praise Him for, for sharing this, these uh, with us today.